listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Good morning, good morning. I hope you are doing well, and I want to say happy Father's Day uh, out there to all the dads. My name is Lee. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's uh, good to have you guys with us this morning. If you and I were sitting down and and, uh, we were, you know, you had a cup of coffee or I had a Dr. Pepper in hand, and uh, I ask you this question, how would you respond? If I said, tell me a story about your dad, what was he like? Tell me something funny he did or he does. You know, tell me about a family vacation. Are you going to answer those questions with yes and no responses? Or are you going to tell me a story? You're going to tell me a story. Because I said, hey, tell me about your dad. Tell me what he's like. What, what, What fun did you guys do? What vacation do you remember? See, we are programmed by God to be natural storytellers. Everybody is, whether you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you don't. All of us have the ability to tell stories. And think about it this way. You tell stories every day. You tell stories in all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different formats. You may tell a story verbally to somebody. You know, you say, here's a story I want to share, and you tell that story. Maybe you hop on Facebook and in your status update, you make a post about something that happened. You tell a story there. Or you use 140 characters on Twitter and you tell a story. Or you hop on Instagram and you post a picture and put a description on. See, we're all natural storytellers. We tell stories all the time. And here's a universal truth about storytelling. All right, I want you to see if you agree with me, okay? So I'm going to ask you for a little audience participation on this one, all right? See if you agree with this statement. The story you remember is the story you tell. You agree with that, yes or no? Yes. Okay, I'm going to say it again in case you are not quite sure which way to vote. All right? The story you remember is the story you will tell. Yes or no? Okay, good. All right, got way more feedback that time because if you would have said no resoundingly, we would have had to go a whole different direction in the sermon. But thank you for saying yes. All right, I can stay somewhat on track now. The story you remember is the story you will tell. If that holds true in everyday life, then why is it that many Christians will never share their story of how they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Why, will, why do many people never share their story of faith? We're in a series through the book of Joshua, and so if you've got a Bible with you or, or maybe an app or uh, there at home, you can uh, cl- grab your phone or you've got a phone here. Let's go to the book of Joshua in chapter 4, and the verses will be on the screen. We've been moving through Joshua, and we're talking about being strong and courageous in our faith. The people of Israel are having to move into the promised land that God gave them. And there was a lot of setbacks and a lot of difficulties. It wasn't always going to be easy. So they had to be strong and courageous. You know, if you think about who we are as Christians in this day and time, who we are as a church right now, we have to be strong and courageous in our faith as well. And so in chapter 4, what you have is the people of Israel are about to cross over the Jordan River. And God's going to do a miracle here. And then God tells them to tell a story. 
to be ready to be storytellers down to the next generation because the story you remember is the story that you will tell. So let's pick up in chapter 4 and we're going to start in verse 1. It says, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people from uh, each, each tribe of man, Verse 3, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. Bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. I want you to notice in verse 1 this uh, little just kind of notation that the author of the story gives us. He said, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, At this time, historians believe there's kind of two million people that would make up the nation of Israel. Two million people crossing over the Jordan River when they all had crossed over. I love that statement because you you see a statement of unity there. And I think as a church right now, we've got to stay unified uh, as we're kind of going through all these transitions together, as we're reopening campus, reopening ministries. uh, Let's stay unified and loving people and leading them to a new life with Christ. And so God says, all right, you guys got to cross over and then you're going to build this memorial of stones. And I think in that crossing, it's dangerous. And when you stop and think about the Jordan River of the day, it's, it's not like a, a creek you and I grew up playing in. You know, you may have grown up skipping rocks in a creek or, you know, catching tadpoles, chasing frogs or hunting snakes, right? This isn't that. The Jordan River chapter 3 and verse 15 indicates that it's the time of year where it's at its flood banks. I mean, it's flooding. It's at its peak. It's at its height. This is a dangerous, angry river. And so I want you to stand on the banks of the Jordan River alongside those two million people. And I want you to think in your mind right now, as you're looking out at the white caps of those waves, As you're looking to the person to your left or right, or you're looking a little bit on down the line, and you've got the command. God said, you're going to cross. You have to go over. I want you to think about your situation right now in life as you're standing there. See, for some of you, you're thinking, there's no way I can do this. You know, I'm I'm pregnant. There's no way. Maybe I, I... There's no way I can get my my babies across. There's no way I can get my toddlers across. Some of you are saying there's there's no way physically I could do this. I I can't do this with my cane. I can't do this with my walker. There's there's no way if you've got livestock, I could get all my cattle across, all my horses across, all my chickens across. There's no way. How is this going to happen? See, the people of Israel at that time, they're on the banks of that river looking out along with you at all those white caps in that angry river thinking, there's no way I can do this. But see, that's a moment of faith building when you and I have to stand at those river banks sometime and say, God, there's no way I can do this, but Lord, I know you can. Lord, I know you will. I know you will make a way for this. I love what William Carey and back in the 1800s, once said he's what we call the father, father of the modern mission movement. He said this. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Right? Expect great things from God and attempt great things 
for God. And here they are at that moment on the bank. And what God does is he parts that Jordan River and they cross. And then you pick up in verses 4 and 7. And look at what it says there. The author of the text takes us through after they've crossed. Verse 4 says, Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan. Take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Verse 6, notice this, this is key. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of uh, the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So he says cross, and then as you're crossing, you guys take those stones and you build a memorial. So then when the younger generation comes and says, what do these stones mean? What do these rocks mean? You'll be able to tell them what God did, how he parted the Jordan River, how he worked in that way. Now, I love what um, Warren Wearsby and his commentary said about this verse. And, and listen closely to this. He said, to an unbeliever, the heap of the 12 stones was simply another stone pile. But to the believing Israelite, it was a constant reminder that Jehovah was his God working as wonders on behalf of his people. See, for the Israelite, the person of faith, that's a constant reminder of God's provision. For the non-Israelite, somebody that doesn't worship, that, that was just a, a pile of rocks. And think about it this way in modern day terms when it comes to the cross of Jesus Christ. You may have somebody that doesn't follow Jesus and they look at a cross and they say, well, that's just a piece of jewelry. Or maybe that's a reminder of, of social injustice that was done to an innocent man in a public killing. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, for the one that follows Christ, the cross means something to us. When we look at the cross, we're reminded of Romans 5, 8. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the way God demonstrates his love toward all of us. That while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's what the cross means to us. See, the story you remember, it's the story you will tell. The story you remember is the story you will tell. And so in verses 10 through 20, you have the crossing. They, they cross over. But we need to ask ourselves the question, why? Why did God do this? Why did God do it this way? You know, why didn't God just lead them around another route? Why didn't God just say, you know what? Eh, it's going to be too hard anyway. Two million people all in a day before the sun goes down. Eh, somebody's not going to like it and grumble along the way, right? You guys want to be in charge of getting two million people across? Have you thought about the logistics of bathroom breaks on that? I mean, just think about that. As parents, you're like, come on. You just went five minutes ago, right? In all the logistics, why did God do it this way? Why part the waters of the Jordan River? It's got to be a better way, right? Well, the author of the story does something to us. See, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's really the same type chapter, just kind of told a little different way. 
But he, he saves the climax of the story to the end. The twist of the story at the end. The main part at the end. And we pick up in verse 21. And he answers this question. Why did God do this? Verse 21, he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel has passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Notice verse 24. So all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Two reasons God does it this way. Number one, verse 24 says, so that he can show people that he is mighty, that he is strong, that he is the all-powerful God, that he holds all things. I was thinking about that in Colossians chapter 1 this week when I was praying for things going on in our nation. And I had to remind myself, God, you are holding all things together, Colossians 1 says, that you are the powerful, mighty God. And right now in your life, you may be standing at whatever the banks of the Jordan River of your problem is. But when you pray, remember you are praying right now to the God who is all-powerful and all Mighty, And that's why he did it this way. So he can show his power and his might. But you notice something else in verse 24? Not only to show people his power and his might, but that they what? What does the text say? That they may fear him. They may fear him. Audience participation here at time. Maybe at home you can click the thumbs up button as well. How many of you would admit this morning you have a fear? Anybody? Anybody just, okay, some of you don't have hands up, so that's okay. You, you have figured out not to have any fears in life. Congrats. Here are my fears. Sharks, snakes, clowns, mascots, puppets, needles, all right? Don't like any of those things, okay? And I know some of you are looking at me like, puppets, really? I just, hey, don't, all right. Clowns, mascots, puppets. Not natural, don't like it, just gives me the willies, all right? We all have some type sharks, okay? That's a legit one, right? Are you guys okay with a shark as a fear? Okay. It, for those of you ocean swimmers that like to swim in the ocean, here's summer, this is my summer advice for you ocean swimmers. I'm going to get back on point in a second, just hang on, okay? If you swim too far out in the ocean, you are no longer a swimmer. You are bait. Got me? Okay? So you think about that. You think as cool as it is to keep swimming on out there, you're going to cross a line where you're not a swimmer anymore. You are now bait. All right? You got it? Okay. So stay ankle deep with me and you'll be all right. We all have fears. So in verse 24, when it says to fear the Lord, what does that mean? What does fear there mean? Well, understand... There's two types of fear, biblically. There's the fear that someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ ought to have toward God. There's that type of fear. But then there's the fear of somebody who believes in Jesus Christ and the way they ought to fear the Lord. Let me explain the difference. 
For the person that does not believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you should be afraid of God. You should fear him. The reason you should fear him is because you have sinned against a holy God. And yet, because you've sinned against a holy God, his wrath and justice has to come upon your life because he's holy. He's without sin. You can't have a relationship with him because your sin separates yourself from him. And so because you've sinned against him, the penalty of your sin, Romans 6.23 says, is spiritual death. John 3.36 would say this, the wrath of God abides on you now, and that when you die, his wrath will be actively on you forever in hell. If you are not a believer in Christ yet, you need to be afraid of him because you're one heartbeat away from being in hell for all of eternity. That's that kind of fear. For the believer in Christ, we are just like the unbeliever. We've sinned against a holy God. We've sinned against him. We deserve death, Romans 6, 23. That's our wage. It's what we've earned. But we've come to Jesus, and we've understood that God says, in order to have a relationship with me, you have to come to faith in my son Christ, because Christ paid the penalty of our sin on the cross. When he was on the cross, Isaiah 53 says, the Lord laid upon on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. So for believers in Jesus Christ, listen, we're no better than unbelievers. We've just come to the one who took our sin away, who paid our penalty, and we're trusting in him to forgive us. So when we fear God, our fear is not be afraid of God. Our fear as believers in Christ is to worship God. It's to love God. It's to be in awe of God. It's to say, God, you're the one that's done miraculous things in my life. You've taken away my sin. You've taken away its penalty. You've given me life with you. I want you to notice this. This fear changes affections. As an unbeliever, if you're afraid of God, it means you don't love him. You're more in love with yourself than God. For the believer in Christ, the affection has changed. I love God more than I love myself. Why? Because he's my God. He's my perfect heavenly father. So this morning, the story you tell is the story you remember. God did these miracles in Joshua to remind the people of his might, for the people to fear them. For them to be able to set up that memorial stones so that in the next generation they may tell of his work. If you think about Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus did these miracles as well. He did miracles all the time because John 20, 30 through 31 said this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which were not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. The story you remember is the story you will tell. I want to introduce you to somebody this morning. His name's Brad Blackwell. And I sat down with Brad this past week and I asked him, I said, share your story with me. And I want to show you Brad's story that he wants to share with you this morning as a way to encourage you. Maybe take that next step of faith you need to take today 
in trusting in Jesus or simply encourage you to share your story like he shared his. My testimony is about Jesus. It's not about me. What Jesus has done for me, no one else can do. And I found that out by spending 20 years of my life running in the complete opposite direction. I followed Hinduism, and I was well studied in that religion. And even though I had some peace brought to my life, for example, things that I was having trouble controlling, like my drinking and my drug use, what I never had was a knowledge of my final destination. And November 10th, I came to church, and I did not intend on getting saved that day. I intended on standing next to my father as a veteran and being around my father and being proud to be a veteran. But there had been something that had been gnawing at me for a long time. It was the fact that I was going to hell. And I knew it. And Pastor Lee, that Sunday, just happened to bring a message about the reality of hell. It wasn't like I was coming to church every week. The timing was just like it should be. And I I remember that when I went down front, I couldn't believe that I was walking down front in the first place. And all I could manage to get out of my mouth was that I was scared. And I was. I was terrified. Because all the religion in the world won't do anything for you. The only one that can save you is Jesus, and I knew it. And I knew that I needed him in my life. And in that moment, things changed for me. Pastor Lee sent me with a nice couple, and they prayed with me. And I found my salvation that day. And before I suffered severely from anxiety and fear and over these past few months Jesus changed me instantly but over these past few months my anxiety is going away my fear is going away because I know where I'm headed I know that I'm going to be with the Lord no matter what happens and I've learned that it's not necessarily about being a perfect person like I thought it was before because I'm still a sinner but praise God I'm forgiven and I have a family at this church and I have my family that we've been reconciled because I gave my life to Christ and he's fixed everything I can't tell you that life is perfect can just tell you that it's great to be forgiven. Hmm. And that's my testimony. Yeah. Amen. Is your story like Brad's? I mean, now your story is your story. Brad's is his. But is your story like Brad's in this way? Do you know today where you would be if you breathed your last earthly breath this afternoon.
I mean, maybe you came today just like Brad did back November 10th. And you, you came because somebody invited you, became with your, your, your dad, and you weren't expecting to come in and say, you know what, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe that's exactly why God brought you. To keep writing that story. To say, all right, now we need to progress it. You need to come to know me as your Savior. So I want to do this. I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Just right where you are. If you want to bow your heads, close your eyes. Those of you that are online this morning watching in your home, I invite you to, to do the same with us. And I invite you to pray in two different ways today. Maybe for those of you that are our believers in Jesus Christ, take an opportunity and, and thank the Lord for what he's done. Just thank God for who he is. Maybe today as you're doing that, you want to pray for somebody you know that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. We call them our, our we have what we call a four-by-four plan here where we identify four folks uh, that we know who don't believe in Christ. We pray for them uh, four times a week. We get together with them and we do this all for Jesus. So pray for that son, that daughter, that granddaughter, grandson, that friend, that coworker, that neighbor, whoever it is. Just, just pray. Lord, I want to see this person come to know Jesus. As you're doing that, pray to share your story. A lot like Brad. Be that storyteller for God. For those of you today that aren't believers in Jesus, I'm going to invite you to make a decision right now where you're sitting. Whether you're in your living room or, or whether you are here in this worship center, you can come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says you place your faith in Him. Faith is just simply your trust. You are trusting that Jesus has died for your sin. You are trusting that through His death and His resurrection, that He has the power to forgive you of your sin and give you a relationship with God now and forever. You are trusting in that chair to hold you up by faith today. And when you place your faith in Christ, you're trusting in His work. And so I want to invite you to pray. That's what the Bible says. When you're ready to be saved, you call out to the Lord. And so I'm going to voice a prayer that you can follow just right where you are. And you can pray along with me. If you're ready today to give your life to Jesus Christ, you can pray a lot like this. Dear Father, I know that I have sin in my life. And I'm ready to give it to Jesus. And Father, I'm ready to follow Jesus in my life. Thank you for saving me. Father God, I thank you this morning for those that may have prayed for the very first time in their homes or in this worship center. Father, I pray that today that they can have the assurance and know that they are believers in Jesus Christ. That you have brought them into your family as sons and daughters. And Lord, I pray today that they'll let us know that so uh, we can celebrate with them, pray with them, help them take that next step of faith. And so Lord, as we continue to worship you this morning through taking of the Lord's Supper, then Father, I pray that you will continue to help us to be storytellers of what you have done. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.